we need to talk about the motherhood penalty. A penalty that only mothers pay when they become parents. A penalty that strikes your lifetime earnings, your retirement savings and your career. A penalty that for me took me by surprise and off-ramped my first career. My name is Emma McLean and in this series we're going to do just that. We are going to talk all about the motherhood penalty. Get curious about the system that creates it and talk to experts about what we can do to smash it. It's going to be practical, punchy and peppered with laughter. A little like me. If this sounds good to you, let's get into it. Welcome back to How to Smash the Motherhood Penalty, a podcast where we get curious about this thing called the motherhood penalty. Curious about the system that creates it and curious about the solutions that are going to smash it. Today, I am delighted to have with me Michelle Russell, who is the General Manager of Talent and Culture at ANZ New Zealand and the Pacific. Welcome, Michelle, on this uh, grey Thursday of the first week of the school holidays, which we all know is a joyful time for working parents. (laughs) Um, I thought we'd just open up by um, asking you to kind of introduce yourself um, in whatever way feels comfortable for you. Kira Emma, it's a grey day in Christchurch, <laughs> so I stupidly decided to work from down here Thursday and Friday this week. We've got family down here and we brought the kids down this morning. One of them's on school holidays and one of them obviously isn't quite there yet, but um, it did make me realise that the luxury of business travel is quite different when you're going with a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So, um, yeah, not sure I'll do that again in a hurry, but that's okay. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, school holidays are just a constant juggle. And sometimes, as you say, we do these things and then we're like, mm, probably not going to do that again. And so tell me a little bit about you and your story. I've been now with ANZ for close to 18 years, and I would say that has been the majority of my career. Mm. And ANZ's been such a wonderful place to grow as an individual and as a leader. I joined the organisation as a learning and development consultant, and the opportunities I've had both in jobs and as jobs have broadened have been amazing, including the last six or seven years where I have had two children during that time, so Mm. reasonably late in my career but probably like quite a lot of women these days. I was 38 when I had Emily and I was doing a role which was general manager for one of our business units in the bank, so not an HR role. And I had six months off at the time. And then I had Stevie three years ago, two weeks into COVID, as general manager of talent and culture, which at the time, you know, two weeks into COVID, we were finding our way on what that meant, what it meant for our staff to work from home at the same time as I knew I was walking out the door for six months and someone else was transitioning in. So I've had an amazing opportunity at ANZ because of where I am in my career to be able to be quite flexible. I'm empowered to do the role I need to do. But I also get terrible FOMO. So stepping out of the business for six months at a time was not a comfortable space for me to be in. The interesting thing about anyone who works for a corporate is things move quickly and they move really slowly at the same time. It's fascinating how you can go away and some things have changed 
but actually very little has <laughs> in the six months that you weren't there. So I think you think you're missing out on a lot, but the reality is you're really not. Yeah, so I mean, my story, you know, I've had some amazing leaders, male and female, and they've always been so supportive, one, of pushing me or, or suggesting I go into roles that I felt wholly uncomfortable about, but also about allowing me to be the leader I needed to be. And, mm. you know, flexibility is just a thing that we do. You know, I come and go as I need to. I guess to put a perspective on it, though, I have a partner who has been stay at home. So mm. I also have the luxury of not needing to do the school pickups, not mm. needing to do the daycare drop-offs. I do them when I can, but I I also travel a lot. So mm. there's no expectation that I do them. It's more that I want to do them when I can. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for sharing your story. <laughs> a couple of things I want to pick up on there, and I also want to acknowledge, you know, what you just said then, which is it feels like you can do what you can do because you have someone at home. Yes. Right? And I think that's really important. And I think also, just putting it out there, it's very privileged. It is absolutely privileged. I'm in a privileged position financially where, as a family, we can choose to do that. Yeah, but but it enables you to do what you do and to do what you want to do, right? So I think it's really important. I want to pick up on this FOMO thing and this really beautiful insight you had around six months out of the business, right? <laughs> At the same time, doesn't sound like a lot. And at the same time, so much can happen. <laughs> and I'm wondering what else might have changed for you as a mum when you're back at work? I think you get a better perspective. So mm. I was, you know, 38 is a reasonably late point in time to start having kids. And so you've been reasonably selfish as an individual up until that point. I mean, things change in your life when people around you start having children. I think mm. that's an interesting perspective for people is just because you don't have them doesn't mean that your life doesn't change because all your friends have them and therefore the catching up at the pub on a Friday night mm. is not quite the same anymore. But I definitely had a very different perspective. Um, and I think being a reasonably senior, well, I guess a senior woman mm. in, in ANZ who has, is going through what a lot of our staff go through does actually help you see their perspective mm. and therefore understand more deeply what they're facing into. Mm. Um, I mean, I think just one of those things is the sleep deprivation, right? So just because you're back at work six months in doesn't mean that you're fully getting your eight hours sleep a night. And, you know, so the last six years for me with two children – you know, you still get the one, the toddler crawl into bed at one thirty, and then, um, you know, because she's got a cough and she can't get back to sleep. Mm. And so, you know, it's not all rosy and, you know, my partner does everything at home. Mm. You know, it's still quite a shared load. And overnight, ideally, he'd be the one that would have got up in the early stages. But if I was awake, then I got up. And mm. so it does impact your ability to perform as well. So mm. you, I think you get you get a much better perspective on what then becomes emotional responses because you're probably not thinking the way that you could be thinking, et cetera. I, th I think there's those sorts of things that you just get a different. And, and even fathers who return, fathers most of the time will only take two to four weeks off when the child's born, but you know they're still you know getting the sleep deprivation as well. So I don't think we always put that perspective on things. Totally. I mean, yeah, sleep deprivation is real, right? And, you know, we just need to mainline coffee in those uh, 
<laughs> that's what that's what gets us through. And yeah. I, something that I thought that's really interesting is, you know, what becoming a mum bought you was this perspective and standing in someone's shoes and standing in the shoes of many of the people that work at ANZ. And I see that in my work as well as I've worked with, I've coached some fantastic people leaders and they say to me, you know, Emma, I thought I was really empathetic for my parents and my team. But then when I became a parent, I was like, okay, this is next level. You know, the sleep, the questioning in your head, am I doing the right Mm. thing? The identity stuff, the stepping out for six months when you're a really critical person in the business, that is darn hard to get your head around. Yes, and I, I I had two quite different experiences to that. The first time I went away, when I came back, my role had actually been split in two, and that was a real. Although I I got I totally rationally understood that. You know, you you look back and go, if I'd been in the business, would that have happened? And then the second, I mean, the second time was just a much easier experience because it was a very contained role. You could there's only one head of HR in an organisation. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So much, you know, I knew what I was coming back to. The only thing that had changed was that this thing called COVID had played out. Just that little, um, that little detail. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and some very different decisions were needing to be made around vaccine mandates. And, you know, there was never a right or wrong on some of those questions that we had to respond to. And in hindsight, I'm sure we would have always done it. We would have absolutely done it differently knowing what we know now. But, yes, yeah, so I had two very different experiences with my return. And so I think, the important thing about that is it almost doesn't matter where you are in an organisational hierarchy. Those things hold true. Yes. Yeah, and the way that it makes you feel or or reflect on your contribution and all of those sort of things, you know, is the same whether you're at the top of the table or middle management or wherever it is, I think. And it's real. So I love that. It, yeah. co- it cuts across all levels. It's a human thing. It's human. Yes. And I think... You know, if there are people, leaders listening to this, it's an important thing to think about, right? It's an important yeah. thing to think about when you're welcoming your person back, that that's where they're coming from. There's these questions, there's this lack of sleep. And and a lot of the times it's the first time we've done it. So we don't know, yeah. we're navigating. The other piece is most of the time you get, don't get welcomed back. You just slot back in. Yeah, no one's suddenly throwing a party because it's your first day back in the office. After six months, it's just like, oh, welcome back. Here's the calendar. Here are all the meetings. Here's your chair. You know, Go for your fill, life. Fill your boots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, I guess it's interesting, isn't it? Because what if we were welcomed back? Right. What if, and I think that's the opportunity. And I, we're going to talk about motherhood penalty in a minute, but I think a penalty we can pay when we come back is that we are just expected to slot in, that we are just Mm -hmm. expected to figure out that we now report to Wayne, even though I didn't even know we reported to Wayne now. And I am meant to figure out that there's new clients and I am meant to figure out that we don't book the, book the meeting room that way anymore. I don't know, like, you know, all these things. Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there's lots change, but lots doesn't. Because you look back and you go, oh, that project was still running when I left. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Yeah. But, but then yeah. they're big. But, and, and I think also in big companies, change is a constant, right? Mm. And when you've been yeah. a critical person in the business and you've been out for six months, it's so nice if someone gets that when you come back, you're going to feel a little odd. 
that mm. people haven't been confiding in you. People haven't been giving you a heads up. And if your people leader can really support that, and in those first few weeks, hold some meetings, which I call while you were away meetings, right? So you put a meeting and you just go back through your Outlook calendar and you go, so this happened, then we had a big town hall and then we did this and then we did. that person just feels really seen because we're already feeling vulnerable when we come back to work. We're sleep deprived. Yes. We're wondering whether we're doing the right thing. We're worried about our kid who we left standing at a gate at daycare. People leaders out there, you have a massive role to play. So, you know, I'd love you to get curious about it. Yeah, and I think that the other part of that, everything, a lot of what you do at work is like muscle memory. You mm. just don't even think about it. Mm. And so when things change, you adjust and you keep going. Mm. And so actually you need to be consciously conscious sometimes to actually appreciate what actually has changed. Yeah. Little yes. things like how do you book the meeting room now? Like that's the sort of thing you wouldn't even consider in a rundown of what's happened in the organisation. But because it's muscle memory and you just get on with it, but I think there's that sort of being a lot more consciously conscious of what has changed and the things that ma- would matter as opposed to someone at the top table's different. I mean, to be fair, yes, it's interesting, but yep. how much does that change the way you go about your role on a day-to-day basis? Great call out. Because it's the little thing that do make us feel like the fish out of water because we're like mm, okay yes. so yeah that how do I do that and you also don't want to ask people because you feel like it's a failure on yes. your part so if our people leaders can be proactive about that that is a massive one it's a massive one so call out to you people leaders in your court now so when I say the words motherhood penalty what comes up for you Michelle Yeah, so I think I, again, reasonably privileged position in that I don't believe I've suffered from the motherhood penalty. And one of those reasons is because as an organisation, I've got to say this because I'm HR and ANZ, Mm. but we have very good parental leave policies. So I was on full pay for the six months I was on leave both times. So financially, no impact. And we have checks in place when it comes to remuneration reviews to make sure that if someone is out for a certain period of time, you're reflecting the time that they were in the job and rewarding them for that. You know, KiwiSaver gets topped up during that time. You get all your annual leave accrued at your full pay, which has positives and negatives because now you've got a ton load of leave to take, which is also actually quite stressful. But what we do say to people is instead of going part-time, take every Friday or every second Friday off of your annual leave because mm-hmm. you're, you've accrued 12 months of it. If you've been away for 12 months, that mm-hmm. for us, that's 23 days. It's quite a lot of leave to use whilst still accruing it when you get back. So we try and get people to you know think differently about using it instead of part-time, which means they're getting paid full-time, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. sorts of things. So mm-hmm. motherhood penalty for me, I do not feel I suffered. I think I was in a really lucky point in my career, been quite sick senior as well. And I'd already sort of proven myself, proven my value, knew knew what I was good at versus what I wasn't good at, those sorts of things. And I wasn't sort of necessarily looking for the next rung on the career ladder. Mm. But in saying that, I appreciate some of these things for the woman in our organisation. I've had many conversations with women in some of our business units who would have been a relationship associate moved into a relationship manager role, went on parental leave, and then we're going, oh, I'm not sure I can do the RM role anymore. 
It's like, I, maybe I go back to the RA role. I'm like, what are you doing? Of course you can. Do it your way. You don't have to do it the way that David or John or everyone before him has done it. Mm. Because I think in somewhere like ANZ, it historically has been quite a male-dominated industry that's always done things a certain way. Mm. And that doesn't mean that's how it has to be going forward. And I think that's the conversation I have with a lot of our women is just because John and David and <laughs> Matt, you know, mm. have mm. done it that way before doesn't mean that's how you have to do it. Mm. Beautiful, amazing, mm. again, challenging the way we've always done things. And yes. I love what you said, like, do it your way. That's a really great way to look at it. Well, I hear you say that you don't feel you've paid a motherhood penalty. If I said to you, on average, if we look at figures from the Grattan Institute in Australia, in the first 10 years of starting a family, that on average, mothers take a 60% hit to their salary, career and retirement savings. And that's through parental leave that might not be paid. It is through having to choose part-time roles. It is through lack of affordable childcare. And it is through the division of unpaid work at home. And in addition to some of the solutions you've already spoken about, what do you think we need to do? It's funny because I look at the generation that comes after me and some of these decisions are still being made. Like, So you have an even partnership between the male and the female and even at career, yet the woman is still choosing to be the stay-at-home mum because they really want to be a mum. There's something inherent in, in us as, as females. That's the nature of us. But societally, that is still the thing that's the norm. I genuinely believe there's a lot of ways you can address some of those things. Mm. But there's also this shift change in society that needs to happen. Mm. If I think about any relationship, you fall very quickly into a rhythm way before children around who does what in the relationship, you know, whether that's one person always does the cooking, one person always does the cleaning, you know, etc. It's, it's not even when you join into a relationship most of the time. And so it's really interesting that we expect suddenly we have children for that dynamic to fundamentally change when actually maybe it's always been you as the female that's done the cleaning and the cooking and the whatever. Some of it's about actually that start of a relationship where you want to please someone and you end up falling into these habits that you can't unwind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but I know, you know, the reality is if you've always been the person that does it and then you introduce a child into the mix, there's a real fundamental shift in your household that has to happen before you even play out the concept of work. Mm. And I don't think, you know, that we don't lean into that well. We also, there's not enough men taking parental leave. So the reality is it's the woman that's out for six to 12 months. If that was to change, I think you'd fundamentally see change which means there's probably a lot of corporates out there that have to be doing the whole secondary caregiver, not just the primary caregiver. Because I think a lot of corporates like us, absolutely, either parent can take the primary caregiver role, mm. but it just so naturally falls on the female. My personal view is that's societal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is societal and it's a norm. It's, I like that word you use, right? It's just these norms that we just fall into. It's mm. the soup we're all swimming in. You know, like it almost yeah. happens under cover of darkness because <laughs> it's just the way it is. And I, I love what you said that getting dads to take parental leave, paid parental leave. And for me, that's a meaningful period of that. So not not just the two weeks, not just four weeks. No, but no, this is the six to 12 weeks. This is the out of the workplace for a decent period of time. Being out of the workplace for a decent period of time. What do you think of the stops dads doing that? I mean, most of the time it's financial, right? Because you can't afford to have both parents out at the same time. And if organisations are only paying for the primary caregiver, mm -hmm. then it defaults one way or the other. Yeah, That's the barrier, I think, is that yeah. 
you can't afford it in a middle income if you're lucky enough to even be middle income. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think KPMG pay for the secondary caregiver as well. And actually there's been a few that, you know, originally there were a few males sort of umming and ahhing whether to do it or not. And it's like, why would you not mm. take mm. full pay for however long? Like imagine going home to your parent. And I remember Matt Pritchard saying this. Imagine going home to your partner and going, work's going to pay me for full pay for 18 weeks. I don't think I'll do it. <laughs> like that, that's like no matter what relationship, I can't see that flying. Mm, mm. <laughs> you know, and it's a big expense for a corporate. It's not a small expense. But if you want to change the norms in society and things like that, then there's that element that has to be lent into, and it ends up being lent into by employers. And so what's going to be fascinating, right, because we've got a number of businesses like KPMG that are offering 18 weeks, some of them 26 weeks for both parents. What's going to be fascinating is now we have that in place, who will take it up? Because I hear what you say, why would we not do that? But at the same mm. time, six months out of the workforce feels freaking scary. Like, what will that do to my career? I think for change, we need to welcome dads into that because yeah. that's how we feel. The question is, what could it do for my career? Because right. I think... When it comes to empathy and understanding better of your staff and all sorts of things, I think the question is what what are the positives that this brings me for my career, not what do I miss out on? I love that. That is such a beautiful vision, right? And this is what I am so interested in now is like I want to see the numbers of people taking this up. I love the leadership of private organizations offering this to their people, right? Let's report on the numbers. But not just that, mm. let's report on men who are working in part-time roles. Let's report on men who are leaving at three to do pickup. Because those are the metrics that need to change in order for mums to step into their power in the world. Absolutely. It's all of those things. And, and it's the balance. Like, definitely we see more fathers now leaving on a Wednesday to go and do soccer practice or something like that, but you don't see the same level of consistency around the balance between pick up and drop off and those sorts of things. That's for me what's going to change the norms is when we start getting all parents being able to do that and then not seeing a penalty. Because I yeah. think part of the penalty is Sometimes, and definitely in my experience, when I took part-time roles, even though they were kind of seniorish, you kind of got assigned to the B team. You know, it's like, oh, Emma, she's busy. She's got three kids. She doesn't need to be involved in this new project. Well, new projects are how you build your career. Why doesn't someone ask Emma rather than someone making a decision for Emma? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I just think that we need to see different stories playing out because I, the other place I see the penalty playing out is I coach women who are not even parents, right? And they start saying to me, oh, I'm going to have to leave this organization if I want a family. So the penalty is already penalizing you and you haven't or even had the, this. Or the other one, and I remember getting annoyed by it when I was, you know, in the later stages is I used to get the one that had to go and do the travel or had to go and do this trip or had to go and do this night out because others had kids it's like well hang on a second I've got a life too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so mm -hmm. yeah and I we do have these conversations a lot when we have women's networking groups and stuff and it all anchors around women with children but actually there is also really large cohorts of women without children yet potentially that that also we should be talking to and thinking about and you know etc <laughs> but and also I love your point though why don't we ask them and yeah. I think in a way it's unconscious bias. It's kind of like, look, 
she's overloaded and I don't want to add to that load. But if we can see men doing part-time work and it doesn't harm their career and they can be a general manager or a job share, two guys doing a job share, that's when I think we're going to get change. Yeah, I, I, there's a bit of it for me, though, that isn't in the organisation norms. It's the home norms. So we've got all the flexibility policies we could possibly want for any gender mm. or age or what stage. They just don't get taken up in the same way mm. by men. And that's about, in my mind, one of it's about what's expected in the workplace. There's just, you know, there's the bias. But the other bit is what plays out at home. You know, Mm. the tough conversation actually starts at home a lot of the time. And when you're just defaulting naturally to the way it's always been in society, which tends to be the way, you know, that's where the challenging conversation has to happen. That's when the wife or the partner goes, I think you need to go part-time so that I can do point eight, you do point eight, and then we both can actually play a role here. I don't think those conversations are happening enough yet. Yeah. What is it that you think makes those conversations hard at home? I genuinely don't know because I am in a very privileged Mm. position where my partner was and still is an amazing engineer, corporate property person. I think has significantly more potential than I ever did, Mm. but actually just didn't really enjoy the corporate life versus me who actually, I love the challenge. It was just a very natural decision for us about how we were going to play once we had children. Mm. And it's amazing to see him with my girls. Mm. Like, I just think they get so much benefit out of having him at home that they wouldn't otherwise get. So Mm. it's hard for me to put myself sometimes in the space of others who aren't in that position. Look, I think this stuff is tricky. I I think that you've hit on something that is very relevant, and that is it's what's happening at home that can often be a key enabler or provide the infrastructure mm-hmm. for both parents to be able to do different things at work. And I, look, I don't think they're easy solutions, but I think it definitely starts with talking and communicating. And to your point, actually, that might start well before we even have kids. And people get sick of me going on about it, but we do do antenatal classes for 10 weeks to learn about how to birth a baby. And in breaking news, that's the easy bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let alone the dynamics of a six-year-old girl at school. Man, no one, tra- no one trains you for that. <laughs> oh, look, as a mum of teenagers, Michelle, I'm just going to say, wait your turn there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I feel like I've got one already. <laughs> okay, so to wrap up then, if we were going to think macro, right, and I was going to give you a magic wand where you could do anything that would smash the motherhood penalties, What would you use your magic wand for? It's a tough one because I think you can assume that actually most of the policies and practices will work themselves out. It's actually how those things are used. If that's the case, then I think there's an element where women just need to start leaning in, owning it, asking the difficult questions and actually challenging what is a Western European mindset that's been around for a very, very long time and it's very hard to change. But, you know, I there's a lot of men out there I'm finding now that are absolutely open to having these conversations. I think the other thing I see it as well is there's a lot of women that seem to turn up with a problem rather than this is what I have to solve for. This is how I'm proposing we solve it, whether it's part-time hours, whether it's I'm going to need to have a little bit of flexibility. You know, own the solution, put the solution on the table. Very rare that someone will just say no at that point. Mm. It's when you put it in the hands of someone else to own it, it becomes more of a problem. So for me, this isn't a woman's only problem, but I think the more that we can lean into it and own it and really challenge the status quo as individuals, both at home, because I genuinely think that's part of the problem, 
Because if you have that challenging conversation at home and that family unit changes as a result, then that family unit, when it turns up in a workplace, it's also changed, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the societal norms challenged at home become societal norms that start to challenge the whatever's playing out in an organisation as well. Yeah, yeah, love it. Challenging conversations. Leaning in. Life's not easy without them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Leaning into those hard conversations. You know, I read a fantastic book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle and the watch line in that is, this is hard and we can do hard things. And I also hear you saying this is not a woman's issue. And this is a system thing, right? We're all swimming in the soup. I also know a lot of dads that would love to do more part-time work, but for some reason just don't feel enabled to do that. It's a system that doesn't value caregiving. So one of the, the solution I hear you say with your magic wand is let's have better conversations. Let's lean into hard conversations. Let's challenge the status quo. Let's challenge these norms. And I think that's something really practical that everyone listening can pick up on. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I know so many people will have got inspiration from what you've talked about. Like, I mean, some of the things, you know, the power of our managers when we come back to work, the very realness of sleep deprivation, of FOMO when you're out of the workforce, consciously, unconsciously thinking about what you need to share with people when they come back. The little things can make a big difference. How do you book a meeting room? But also I think there's a lot about this is just sharing with people how we're feeling because it doesn't Mm. always make sense. But I think once we share it, we feel less alone. So I think that's really important. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with someone else that you think would really benefit from it. Have a fantastic day onwards and upwards. This podcast was funded by Works For Everyone, a business that is dedicated to supporting working parents and to smashing the motherhood penalty. If this is also your jam, let's stay connected. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for us, Works For Everyone. And if you want more information on how we help businesses put a care wrap around their employees, check us out on worksforeveryone.co.nz. Or if none of these work for you, in the weekends you can find me, Emma McLean, the founder of Works For Everyone, in the queue at Pack and Save Royal Oak or Kmart St Luke's. Onwards!